Okay, Tanya, chapter 11, Perik Yudalif of Tanya. Um, if anyone's following along inside of Tanya, that's fine, but totally not uh, necessary here. Um, we are working through the battle of the two souls, which is the story of Tanya, and we spent nine chapters um, introducing the two souls. The godly soul and the animal soul and their soul powers and their garments and their expressions and their mitzvahs and their various and so on and so forth. That took us through chapter 9. Oh, or really through chapter 8. And in chapter 9 we discussed that these two uh, souls are locked in a battle. Uh, really for most of most people's life. And the godly soul is looking for one thing. Godliness, holiness, selflessness, connected connection to Hashem. And the godly soul would like that it should be the one that dominates the body. The mind, the heart, the eyes, the feet, everything. That everything should be just a, um, should be totally consumed with godliness and godly desire and connection to Hashem. That's the desire of the godly soul. The animal soul wants the opposite. The animal soul wants us to be consumed with ourself, with selfishness. Not necessarily bad, not sinful, but not godly. Selfishness, you know, look out for number one. That's the animal soul. And that's the, that's the deadlock. That's the argument. Okay. As we know, and we've said it uh, all the way from the beginning, Tanya is going to be the story of what the Alter Rebbe calls the Benini, the person, the middle-of-the-road person, which we know is not such a middle-of-the-road person, but in Tanya it's the Benini, the person in the middle. Um, but we had last week one chapter devoted to the Tzaddik, and that was chapter 10, and this week, chapter 11, is one chapter devoted to the Russia, the wicked person. And then the rest of Tanya starts from chapter 12. Chapter 12, the first word of chapter 12 is Vahabenini. And that, there starts the story of the struggle, the story of, of all of us, really. The story of struggle in life. But you have, again, the, the two sides. You have the Tzaddik, the Russia, and then the Benini. So last week, we did the Tzaddik. And this week, we're talking about the wicked one, the Russia. And it's chapter 11. So before we get into the chapter, one, um, actually two different introductions I want to make. One more of Kabbalistic nature. And that is the number 11. This is chapter 11. The number 11 is interestingly connected many times with the unholy, with klipa, with that which is less holy. Uh, we know when we talk about Kedusha, we typically talk about the 10 spheros, the 10 attributes of Hashem, from Chachma through Malchus, and that's all Kedusha. When we talk about Klippa, the unholiness in the Zohar and Kabbalah, many times we talk about the 11 crowns of Klippa. 11. The actual Kabbalistic quote is uh, Yud Aleph Kisrin Demisavusa, which literally means 11. Kisrin is crowns, Keser. Demisavusa is of impurity. Why is it that the Kedusha goes by 10 and Klippa by 11? Why does Kedusha have 10 and unholiness has 11? Um, so there's, there's a lot of Kabbalah on that, just one idea, and that is that everything has godliness to it. Everything, everything is only there from Hashem and therefore has divine energy. In the unholy, the divine energy always stays somewhat separate, somewhat aloof, because it's an unholy place. So the holy um, energy remains somewhat disconnected when it's giving energy and giving life to something that's unholy. And that's why Klippa always has that additional one. There's the godliness that's sort of removed from the spheros. Am I, am I being clear? Now, in Kedusha, we have the godly energy that comes into Chachman, comes into Bina, comes into Das. The godly energy becomes one, fuses 
with the levels that it's energizing and creating. When we talk about the levels of unholiness, so number 11 is that the godliness that's behind it all is always somewhat removed and therefore counted separate. And that's why in Klippa, if Kedusha, there's 10 spheros, in in Klippa, there's 11. That's a general concept in Kabbalah. And therefore, it's interesting, the Rebbe made that note, that chapter 11 of Tanya is the chapter that's devoted to the Russia, to the one who's wicked, to that level of Klippa of unholiness. Um, it's interesting to note, though, that even though Klippa is 11 versus Kedusha is 10, there's 11 is a very powerful concept in Kedusha as well. We say before, um, in Mincha, that we say before Shabbos, we say the Pasach Eliyoh, the part from the Zohar, talks about the 10 spheros, and it says, but you, Hashem, you are one above the 10. And in the words of the Zohar, Antu chad you're one higher than the Cheshbon. So somehow, in Kedusha too, there's the ten spheros, and then there's Hashem, who's above everything. So it's a little bit complex that Kedusha is made up of tens, and then there's Hashem, but Kedusha is eleven. And somehow the way it all comes together is that when the ultimate Klippa is transformed to Kedusha, it reaches Hashem itself. Somehow when, when Klippa, when that which is very negative is turned around, it reaches even higher, even more powerful, and that reaches Hashem himself. And I'll just connect that very quickly with this week's Parsha, which is the Torah portion of Yisro. And Yisro is the Torah portion in which we receive the Torah. And it's interesting that the name of the Torah portion that we receive the Torah is Yisro. Yisro, wasn't, Yisro was a convert, and he wasn't Jewish, and not only that, he was, Yisro was a pagan, and in fact, according to the Medrash, Yisro was involved in every type of idolatry in the world. And the Zohar says, it was only when someone like Yisro was able to come to the Jewish people and join the ranks that the Torah could be given. So in other words, only when something that is so disconnected connects do we reach the highest levels, and that's the 11 within Kedusha. Okay. You know, that, that you, can, you can learn the Tanya without this concept too, but this is an interesting introduction of chapter 11 with this concept of the Russia, that which is wicked. Okay, I want to give a, a second introduction that I think is a very important introduction to learn, to talk about when we learn chapter 11. Because if we don't understand the, the following concept that I'm going to say, chapter 11 can be very, very disheartening at best or depressing. And then, wow, drum roll. <laughs> And that, and that is, when we say Russia, we talk about wicked, a person who is wicked, uh, that's, uh, that we have some very negative connotations to a Russia, to a wicked person. And uh, definitely we would not want to consider ourselves a Russia, someone who is wicked. But when we're going to learn this chapter, we're going to find out that all of us have certain uh, Russia qualities to us. And that's not meant to be depressing or disheartening. And that's what I would like to, I'd like to frame this chapter properly. Um, I want to say something basic. In Tanya, way back we learned, there is the basic halachic um, categorization of a tzaddik, Russia, and Benini. What's the halachic tzaddik? Basic, normal approach before Tanya. Who's a tzaddik? Someone who does mostly good. Someone who the majority of time does the right thing, that's a tzaddik. Who's a wicked person? Someone who the majority of time does bad stuff. They're wicked. Who's the middle of the road? Half and half. You know, I do, I'm good and I'm bad. And, you know, I, I have my good days and my bad days, my mitzvah days, my avera moments. And that's a bainani. This is a true, basic, halachic category. Mostly good, mostly bad. That's regular. And that's true in basic halacha. Tanya is taking a very, very mystical look at Sadiq, bainani, and Russia. And it's important to remember that. In Tanya, who is the 
What's the basic distinction of Sadiq, Benini, and Russia in Tanya? Right? From, from, a, from, a, from the Tanya mystical angle. The Sadiq is one who there's nothing unholy there. There's no unholy desires, no unholy wants. There's no arguments. There's no animal soul anymore. There's no unholiness in the Sadiq. Who is the Benini? Who is the middle of the road in Tanya? It's someone who has holy desires and unholy desires, but always does the right thing. The perfect Benini never fails. So if they never fail, why are they the Benini in Tanya? And we always have to remember this. If they always do the right thing, why are they only the Benini in Tanya language? Because they have positive and negative desires. They have healthy animal soul, healthy godly soul. So they're middle of the road in a sense that there is within them the power of Kedusha and the power of Klippa, holy and unholy wants and desires. And that's why they're the Benini. But what's important to remember is that Tanya Benini is the one who always wins the battle. Always wins the battle. So they're only called Benini because what's going on beneath the surface. They're only a Benini because inside there's a battle. But they never lose. So it's not their... It's their potential actions, but it's not the actual actions. Exactly. When we look at a Benini, they're a tzaddik. When, I, when you and I see a Benini, someone who never does wrong, ever, that's a tzaddik for me, right? Mm-hmm. But Tanya is taking, and that's why you always have to remember this, because otherwise we can be thrown off. The Tanya's Benini is what we call a tzaddik typically, but in the Tanya perspective, the Benini is the Benini because, what, there, there's an animal soul, there's unholiness, there's unholy desires. Okay, so they're not a tzaddik. Which brings us to the Tanya Russia. That's the rest of us. Right, so what's the Tanya Russia? Someone who fails. How often? Maybe one time, maybe a million times. But the common denominator is that sometimes the wickedness, and wickedness means that the non-godly wins the battle. If sometimes the non-godly wins the battle, then I'm not the perfect Benini. Because the perfect Benini always struggles and always wins. If I sometimes don't win, I'm the Russian. And again, that's why it's so important to remember. Because, oh, so we're all Russian. What do we do? That's depressing. Right? So it's important to remember. We're not talking about halachic Russia. We're not talking about the one who's being sent to Gehenna or whatever. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the mystical perspective of struggle versus not struggle, winning versus losing. In simple words, perhaps to oversimplify it, the tzaddik doesn't struggle because there's no bad. The benini struggles and wins. Everyone else loses sometimes. But how many types, how many levels are there in Russia? A billion. A billion, right? And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Because there's the very, very refined Russia that once in a while... like an oxymoron. Refined Russia? (laughs) Well, in Tanya, it's not. See, in Tanya language, it's really not. It's the one that once in a long while falls, has a bad moment. Okay, (laughs) who doesn't? And then there's the Russia Russia, who's doing this for a living. And that's what this chapter does. Chapter Yudalov spans the Russia picture, which means almost everyone is covered in chapter Yudalov. Anyone who doesn't always, always win. But as he builds in this peric, in this chapter, that this is so, so broad. 
So, in order to frame it properly, he says, let's look back at last chapter. Remember, last chapter, we also talked about two levels of tzaddik. Because even though I told you tonight there's tzaddik, benani, Russia, but really we know there's five. Because there's two tzaddiks, benani, and two types of Russia. Right? Remember last week we talked about the tzaddik vitolo, tzaddik viralo. There's the perfect tzaddik and the imperfect tzaddik. Excuse me. There's the benani, middle, middle of the road, which we're going to get talk about for the many weeks coming. And in Russia, there's also two general categories. We have that pasuk that we always fall back on from Shlomo HaMalach and Kohelas. Hashem makes everything in um, one corresponding to the other. So if there's two general levels of tzaddik, there's two general levels of Russia. Let's review. What were the two general levels of tzaddik? So there was the perfect tzaddik. That's one level. No Yitzhahara, no animal soul, no desire, no nothing. That was the perfect tzaddik. But then there was the imperfect tzaddik. What was the imperfect tzaddik? Someone who the, any badness is nullified to goodness, but how nullified? Or as we discussed last week, is he totally disgusted by bad? Repulsed by bad? Do they have a hatred for bad? This is levels in nullification of bad. Very high levels. But, and therefore, last week we discussed there's many levels of tzaddikim. We talked about 18,000 Sadiqim. We talked about 36 Sadiqim. We talked about the Gemara, B'Shun Bar Yuchai, his son. Sadiqim also is very nuanced. Now we're going to carry the whole conversation over into Russia land. Russia land meaning, again, people who sometimes fail, or many times fail, or most times fail. Mm-hmm. The common denominator of all those people are that sometimes they fail. Sometimes Hashem is not the boss. Sometimes. It might be once a year, or maybe. A thousand times, right? But, but the common denominator is Hashem is not always the boss. In a Benini, Hashem is always the boss, though the Benini desires differently, but Hashem always wins. When Hashem sometimes doesn't win, that's Russia energy. Okay? So, but in understanding these types of people, so he says, he says that this, well, first we talk about the Russia of the Tovlo, which is not the, just like there's the perfect Tzaddik, there's a perfect Russia. But perfect Russia is terrible, right? Does that make sense? Is that the worst of the worst? Right, right. The perfect tzaddik is the best of the best. The perfect Russia—that's that's an oxymoron, right? So, the—I mean, I, I can use the ball. Can I use the wall? Yeah. <laughs> so, can you make so, a PowerPoint presentation for us, visual learners? For sure. So, so the the perfect one day, the perfect tzaddik is perfect, and then you have the the worst Russia. And they are correspondent with each other. We'll talk about the worst Russia at the end of the chapter. But first, just like we talked about this, so many different types of imperfect Sadiqim, we'll talk about the Russia Vitovla, which means all the different Rishoyim, the different levels of Russia. Again, the different levels of where Hashem sometimes doesn't win in the person. So he says, he says, there is Revavos Madregos Chalukos. He says there's tens of thousands of levels. And that's just because I think tens of thousands is the biggest number in Hebrew words. In other words, there's myriads. There's just untold amounts of different levels of how much is, there, is the power of the unholy um, overpowering within a person. He says, there are people that is very, very little. In other words, they're Russia moments. There are times when they're not the boss, when, when Hashem is not the boss, right? When Hashem doesn't win out. He says it might be something that's uh, not, it's not constant, it's not even common, just very, very, um, in very distant times. 
that the bad within the person overcomes and conquers the good in the small city, which, we, which is the euphemism for the body. And even then, not entirely, just a little bit, in just little small areas that the unholy conquers within the person. It's interesting he uses this terminology that it's, it's not um, always, it's not even constant, it's just um, very um, infrequent intervals. Um, the, the, uh, the Rebbe notes here, there's a famous story of, um, of David HaMelech, right? David HaMelech sins with Bathsheba. So the, the prophet Nassim, at that time it was Nassim Hanavi was the prophets, those who remember from our Novi Shiram here a couple years ago. So Nassim Hanavi comes to David HaMelech and he gives him this whole, um, he's sent by Hashem with this like tricky question. And he comes to David HaMelech and he says, I have a halachic question I have to ask you. He said, there was a wanderer who came as a, um, and he became a guest at the home of a wealthy man. And the wealthy man wanted to feed him and he wanted to give him a sheep. So he went to the poor man's house who only had one sheep. And he took the sheep from the poor man and gave it to his guest. What do you think? How, how would we judge this wealthy man? Have I been clear? Again, Nassim the Navi comes to David HaMelech. He talks about this wealthy man versus the poor man. And a guest comes to the home of the wealthy man. And the wealthy man takes the sheep of the poor man and gives it to the, to the, uh, to the wanderer. And David HaMelech is incensed at the wealthy man who would take the sheep from the poor man. And Nassim the Navi tells him, well, this is you. This is really a metaphor for you because you have everything. You're the king. And here you wanted the wife of this other person, Uriah, Akiti. And, and David HaMelech then, go, you know, does shuvah and so on and so forth, as, as says there in the Navi. But the Gemara comments on that and says... He, in the, in the uh, mushal, in the metaphor, he says, there was a wanderer who came and he became a guest and then he gave the sheep to the man. First he calls him a wanderer, then he calls him a guest, then he calls him a man. This person who's looking for the sheep, who comes to the home of the wealthy man, what's going on with this wanderer slash guest slash man? So the Gemara says that it's all a metaphor for the Yetzirah, for that n- a negative instinct or desire or inclination that we have that it affects us in that way. It first comes as a wanderer, just like once in a while, like, you know, a little bit, but then it gets a little more comfortable, and it's like a guest, and then it's like an owner, and then it tells us where we're going, what to do. It says that's the way of it. That's the way of negative instincts and feelings. First it comes like once in a while, and then it shows up a little more often, and then it becomes a full-time guest, and then they, then, we're, then suddenly we're the guest, right? And that's the way of the Yetzirah. And therefore, in this chapter as well, we have the person who's just, his, the, the person that the Yitzhahara is only in a way of the wanderer once in a while. And you have the Yitzhahara that's perhaps more common. And sometimes the Yitzhahara takes hold of the person. Okay. So, but the Altarab is describing, he's describing again, the refined Russia. I know we said it's not Simoran, but the Russia that's a, a very high level Russia. He says he's someone who once in a while falls, but not fully, only in certain areas. Like, for example, we know when we, talks about, when we talk about Averis, there's three types of Averis. Three, there's Averis with one of the three um, express, uh, soul garments or expressions. There's we could sin in action. We could sin in speech. We could sin in thought. Right? In action is when one actually does an Avera. You're not allowed to do that, and they did it. Or then there's Averis of speech. Right? Uh, Lashon Hara or whatever, bad stuff that we talk about. And then there's sometimes, I'm not even doing anything. I'm not even saying anything. I'm just contemplating. I'm thinking. I'm letting my mind roam, roam freely and having those sinful thoughts. Now, which one is worse, by the way? Thought, speech, or deed? Which is the worst I've ever to do? Thoughts, speech, deed? I would say deed. Deed. Thoughts. Thoughts. Good. Anyone for speech? 
<laughs> okay, so the answer is that, as is, as is the case in most such questions, there is truth to each answer, right? It's not, it depends, there's truth to each answer. There is a certain severity to deed, to action, right? Halachically, action carries the most weight. For example, Bezdin, the Jewish court, would never punish for thought. You can't punish for thought. Thought is, there's no avera of like, that you, you do that, you'll get uh, lashes for thinking something. It doesn't work that way. Thoughts are personal, they're inside, no one knows. In a sense, like we say in Pirkei Avos, Hamaisa Hu Ha'ikr, the main thing is action. Do you do it? You didn't do it. Did you follow the rule? You didn't follow the rule. So there's definitely a certain severity to action. Did one actually do something wrong? On the other hand, there's a certain severity to negative and unholy thought that makes it even worse than unholy actions, which is because thought is more internal. It affects the person on a deeper level because it's, it's part of the way we are. Thought is something, is our mind. We're affecting the deepest parts of who we are with this unholy thoughts and impure thoughts versus I did it, we know one did it and he moved on. They're not living with it. They're not sort of, it's not, it's not um, involving them on that level. The uh, great Maharal of Prague talks a lot about this, one of his firm. The, 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 interesting, the Maharal is the Alter Rebbe's grandfather. The, the great-great-grandfather of the Alter Rebbe is the Maharal of Prague. And in fact, it's one of the books that the Tanya is based on. And in one of the Maral's books, he writes about this. He says that even though on a punishment level, it's all about action, did you or didn't you do it? He says on a personal level, on an internal level, where one's thoughts are, that's where one is at, more so than in what they actually did. So there is a certain severity to action, there's a certain severity to thought. That's why there are certain people who won't do anything wrong. They won't do it, but they'll think, because they feel that's, no, it's not as, not as intense, not as bad. And certain people might have the opposite approach. And they're like, I did it. But to think about it and wallow it, that's that they wouldn't go there perhaps. And then there's speech. Speech is a whole different situation. On the one hand, speech doesn't carry either of those severities. Speech is not as actual as action. It's not, it's not misa. It's not the actual deed. It's also not as deep and personal as thought. But speech is very, very powerful. Um, in Hasidus, there's a lot of talk about the power of speech and that speech really um, reaches very deep within ourselves. And that's why um, even when we think and we talk it out, sometimes we talk it out, we understand something better. We express ourselves through speech very, very powerfully. Sometimes when we speak, our emotions become much stronger. Right? Words, whatever the words are, words that express an emotion, the emotion is strengthened through speaking it out. And speech has a very powerful effect on us. In fact, in, in the general breakdown of this world, we're called medaber, the human being, the human species, if you will. Um, in Torah, it's called medabers, the, the ones who speak. We're not called wisdom people, we're called speakers. Because speech is very, very powerful. Be that as it may, each one carries its own power and its own special connection to the soul. So therefore, the refined Russia, the one who's just a, you know, a little Russia sometimes, once in a while, is also only a Russia, perhaps only in thought or only with speech, and only with deed, and not big averas, or not very bad speech. Uh, even Lashon Hara, there's all different levels. There's actually talking bad stuff about people, and then there's something halachically called avak Lashon Hara. What is avak? Avak literally means the dust of Lashon Hara, which means I'm not really talking bad about the person. I'm just saying something that, you know, you can figure it out. <laughs> it's not, it's not, you know, this Lashon Hara comes in all different ways. Um, so, the, the refined Russia is someone who obviously is not going to do a big Avera or whatever, but, you know, not so careful here, not so careful there, once in a while. 
These are called the Averos Kalos. They're not heavy, they're not powerful, and they're once in a while. Furthermore, this person who is, again, I keep on going back to that expression because I said it once and it worked. Um, this person who's the refined Russia, after they do the sins once in a while, they regret it. Of course they regret it. And they do tshuva. They say, Hashem, I'm not going to do it anymore. Right? And, and that tshuva is good halachically. And they're not going to be punished for it. It's fine. But still, there are people that give it a week, they'll do it again. In a different form. Again, this is most people. Most people, yeah, we did tshuva. We, we, we did regret it. But a week later, two weeks later, a month later, you know, because we didn't come to that place that I will not sin. Period. The Bainanis at that place. The Bainanis in a place where I will not sin. Period. Ever. Because Hashem is my master. And that's it. That's the Bainani. But this person is not quite yet at that place. Though, most of the time, 90%, 95% of the time, the person's fine. And when the person falls, they do tshuva. And again, this is a wonderful place for most of us to be at. But from the perspective of is Hashem the boss... But this person, Hashem, is most of the time the boss. <laughs> you know, most of the time. Doesn't Hashem give us the struggle? Yeah. So but we have the ability to overcome. We have the ability to be a Benini. It's really hard. But we have the ability to, all, just like we can conquer the struggle once, we can do it every time. Right? You have to remember, the Benini is not impossible. It's just very hard. It's very consistent. The concept of struggle, Hashem gives us. And we are never expected to stop struggling, but we're expected to win. And when we win every time, then we're the perfect vanity. Then we've taken Tanya to its ultimate place. When we win most of the times, that's wonderful, but we're not quite there yet. And that's the refined Russia type, Russia energy. So, but Hashem gives different people different um, uh, levels of struggle. Like for sure. He gives me this level of struggle in this area and somebody else oh, for sure. Different for sure. Struggle. For sure. And only Hashem knows the reasons for that. But every we believe that every person, though every person gets a different struggle, and some people's struggle might be more intense than others, every person also receives the necessary strength to overcome their individual struggle. This is a very important concept. We, the, the words of the Gemara, Eina Kodesh Baruch Hu Imbriyosav, which means Hashem never gives one something that they can't handle. So it's true that my struggle and your struggle is different and every person's struggle is different from someone else. And yet, if it's mine, I also have the particular abilities to overcome that struggle. In fact, that's one of the reasons we say we look at a person who's really low-down, evil person, that tells us that person must have very great power. Because if Hashem gave them that intense, that intense struggle, that intense situation, that means they've been very, very empowered to be able to deal with that type of situation as well. Whereas the Gemara says once in a, in a typical terse way, lefum gamla shichna, Aramaic, which means according to the camel is its load. Right? A big, strong camel, you give it a big load. A little, little scrawny camel, you don't give it such a big load. And the same thing is with our internal camels, if you will. Right? The Yetzirah, the struggles, a big, burly Yetzirah gets, I'm sorry, a person with tremendous powers has that big load, that big struggle, because they can. Else, whereas someone else can't. Okay, so but the thing is to figure out then how to utilize the powers that they gave us to overcome the struggle. Oh, for sure. Because that's why so many people like are depressed or whatever, not doing 
not getting out of whatever the struggle is because they can't open their eyes to right. see that Hashem gave us the ability in some way. Sometimes it's very hard to find that answer to that, how to overcome that struggle. That's, that's very, very true. That's very, very true. In Hayom Yom, he talks about the importance of a person knowing themselves well. Right. And he says, knowing themselves well, he says, it's not just knowing one's weaknesses, it's knowing one's strengths. Mm -hmm. Because only when one knows their own strengths do they know how to overcome their own weaknesses. And All too often, we're very good at recognizing our weaknesses, but we don't realize or we don't spend the time looking or we don't believe that we have also special strengths that are given to us uniquely that are very much connected with our weaknesses. Right. And the complete Amunah and Betachin and Hashem, that that actually exists. Right, right, right. Because if we don't have that in combination, then... Then we have a lot of problems. Right. <laughs> right. But that's very true. That's very true. That's uh, Emuna is that if Hashem made me a certain way and gave me a certain circumstance, He gave me the ability to deal with it. Prior to giving you the exactly. struggle. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well said. Um, okay. All of that is the really refined, pretty special Russia type. Russia Vitovlo. The best, best scenario, Russia. If you follow that through. Let's go down the, the gamut or down the stream, whatever it is. And you have the other end of this is also a, a Russia Vitovlo. A person who's not, we're not talking about the complete Russia yet. But in the, in the, um, in the broad spectrum of the incomplete Russia. So we have the incomplete Russia that sins once in a while. And right away has regret, and right away does shuva, but they'll sin again once in a while. And then you have in the spectrum of incomplete Russia, someone who sins, sins, sins constantly. But, then why aren't they the complete Russia? If they sin constantly, they're the worst, right? This person sins constantly, but is always regrets it. Always. He brings an interesting quote, Rishayim Meleim Charotos. Literally, the wicked are filled with regrets. There are people, every day they sin, and every day they regret it. Now, so someone comes and says, someone who's going to say, nah, they're, they're not really regretting it. If they would have regretted it for real, they would have changed. Is that true? Not really. They do regret it. It's just that their, their Yetzirah is very powerful, and perhaps they're quite addicted to these Averis, to these sins. And as many times as they regret them and feel bad, and 10 minutes later, they turn around and do it again. Fact is, there are people who say, I'm sorry, and do it again. And they meant when they said, I'm sorry. Just not strong enough, not powerful enough. But they, they did say, I'm sorry, and they did feel I'm sorry. It's just that the, the negative feelings and the negative pullings and desires have become so entrenched within that person, that as many times as they say sorry or feel sorry or whatever, um, they, they slip right back into it very quickly and very easily. And by the way, when a person says I'm sorry to Hashem that way, does Hashem accept it? Yes. Hashem knows that 10 minutes later it's going to be a problem again, but that sorry wasn't insincere. It just wasn't powerful. But there was some level of sincerity. And that's why this person too falls under the category of the imperfect Russia or the Russia Vitovlo. We're not talking about the ultimate Russia yet. 
Russia Vitovlo means not the terrible Russia, right? I, I, I'm, I'm, I know I'm using confusing speech here. When I'm saying imperfect Russia, I'm, I'm translating not the inc- incomplete Russia, not a complete, right? Russia Vitovlo, he's a Russia that has goodness to them. So again, in this picture, we had here a person. In this picture, we had her a person who sins once a month for a moment, and we had a person who sins every day numerous times. What's the common denominator? Both of them sometimes sin, and therefore they're not a Benini, and both of them feel regret for their sins, which means that wickedness didn't take over. There's still expression of divinity, of the godly soul, which is why they feel rotten a lot of times. And they're constantly saying, I'm sorry. And they're constantly running to shul and, and saying, Hashem, I'm not going to do it again until five minutes, right? But because there's some, because the, the, the godly soul is still has a voice. So if the godly soul has a voice, that means that they're not a total Russia. The godly soul is not gone. And that's, and this, in this spectrum, I think, is where the vast majority of people fall. Somewhere between the person who sins once a month for a moment and then does tshuva and everything is good to the person who sins every day numerous times and feels bad uh, numerous times. So these two people, again, I'm going to say it again, both of them sin and that's why they're not part of the Benini. But both of them leave or give, give place for the expression of their godly soul, their holiness that says, oh, I don't like this, I don't want this, I feel bad. It's just that one is on a very high level of the spectrum, and one is a very low level of the spectrum. It's frequency. It's frequency. And then is it also the type of sin? Because it could be, yeah. 100%. 100%. It, it's frequency, it's in quantity, it's in quality. It's in all areas. Uh-huh. It's, 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 yeah, definitely quantity and definitely quality as well. Uh-huh. So the frequency, there's quality, there's what type of sin. Yeah, yeah, it's all of it. But all of that is the huge spectrum of what's called, from Tanya perspective, Russia Vitov Lo. There's Russia there. There's something wicked about this because this person hasn't reached that place of Hashem is always the boss. Sometimes Hashem isn't the boss. And at the same time, there is the other side that there is the kickback. The, the animal soul didn't take over. Godly soul gives its expression, gives its voice, and therefore has its moments. And then there is Russia Viralo. Who's Russia? Russia Viralo means the, the, ter- the worst Russia. Who's that? It's actually pretty simple. It's the one who sins and never regrets it. Never regrets it. What does it mean they never have remorse, never regret? That means that they're so far removed that the godly soul doesn't have a voice now. Just There's no voice. So that is very, very different than the Russia of Tovlo. Even you know, the, the Russia of Aralo and Russia of Tovlo, the, the lowest level, on the spectrum of Russia Vitovlo and the Russia Viralo both sin many times throughout the day. Russia Viralo. Russia Viralo is the is the worst Russia. Mm-hmm. Right? So the Russia Viralo sins throughout the day. The lowest level of Russia Vitovlo does as well. But there's a huge difference. Because the Russia Vitovlo, his the, the, the divine soul, the goddess soul has a voice and therefore has that regret, and therefore has that feeling bad about it, although they slip back into it quickly. 
the Russia of Aralo has come to a place, has descended to a place, that in a sense, their godly soul has been removed from them. I'm not finished with that. I'll get back to that in a second. In a second. But the, and that's why the Russia of Aralo, which is the bottom level Russia, is really the extreme opposite of the Tzaddik Vitovlo of last week. The perfect Tzaddik. The perfect Tzaddik is one who has no, there's no animal soul anymore. There's no struggle. In a sense, the rush of Arello is the, is the direct, uh, what's the right word for this? <laughs> Contrast. The direct opposite. The one who's lost their animal soul because they're the perfect Tzaddik. And the rush of Arello has lost their godly soul. There's no, there's no voice. There's just not listening to Hashem, not, being, not caring about Hashem, and not having any voice of godliness that should even say, hey, I feel bad about that. No remorse, no regret. So, but what does that mean? So this person doesn't have a godly soul anymore? Like, do we have the option? Do we, can we lose our godly soul? So therefore he says something very important on the last lines of this chapter. And he says that the Russia Viralo, I, I want to quote the words, he says, that the, 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 the wickedness, the unholiness has become so strong with this, within this person, it strengthens itself so much over the goodness, over the holiness, that the good, the godly soul has left within the person the omed bibchinas makif alav milmaila surrounds the person, encompasses the person from above, but doesn't express itself internally within the person. And here comes the big difference between the perfect tzaddik and the total Russia. The perfect tzaddik has gotten rid of the animal soul. It's gone. There is no more unholiness there. As we said last time uh, from the Pasuk until David HaMelech, after that sin and after his shuba said, I've come to a place where my heart is hollow within me. There is no animal soul in it. The complete Russia can never lose their godly soul. What they can lose is its expression within them, its voice. They're, they're so removed, they're so distant, they've allowed for the klipa to be so overpowering that the godly soul lost its voice. So it's there, person's Jewish, they have a godly soul. But it's not um, expressive. It's not internally expressive. It's there, it's surrounding, it's encompassing. And he says something very interesting. Is that person part of a minion? If you need 10 for a minion, does that person make the minion? Mm -hmm. Yes. Why? Because the minion is not about expression. It's not about how much a person is expressing their holiness right now. It's about the fact that that soul is there. And the soul is always there. If we were born, if we had that godly soul, we have it. It's there. Now, it might, we might express it a little bit, a lot, or never. But even if we never express it, it's fully there. It's just not expressive. And that's really what makif means. We talk about makif. The literal translation of makif is surrounding so sometimes, perhaps when we hear it the first time, we think it means that it's like around me, like a mm -hmm. circle. But it's like right, right here, around my head, right? But really, it's not a question of outside or inside. We're not talking about physical space. Makim means it's transcendent. It's not expressing itself. It's there very much so. Sometimes something is there, but it's not expressive at all. 
right? Uh, if you have, um, I don't know, uh, radio waves who come come in a room and there's a radio and it's playing, playing the radio. Nowadays, the radio is not a thing, but mo most people here know what it is, right? So you have radio waves and then you have the radio that plays them. The radio waves are everywhere in the room. They're just not expressive because there's no good re receiver for it. When you bring in the radio, you have a receiver to express those radio waves. But the radio waves are there with or without the radio. Right? And the same thing with that neshama is always there, whether I'm expressing it or not expressing it. And that's how he finishes the chapter by saying that this, this Russia, Viralo, the ultimate level of Russia, the one who's so far removed that the godly soul has no voice and therefore there's no regret and therefore there's no remorse, what that means is that the negative power, the unholy power, has become so strong and so powerful, so expressive, that the other has been kicked out of expression. And it's there waiting for the moment or the day that it will come back into play. Everyone, even this ultimate Russia, can decide and can in some way sometimes is pushed from other sides, however it happens. But that soul can lead back into action. But until it does, that person is the Russia Viralo where that soul has no, no actual expression. There's lots of stories about things like that, right? Like, like, uh, Jews that became, I forget what it's called, the word, parrots, or like were over other Jews and stuff and everything, and they, they kind of lost their whole godly soul, but then something brings them back. Or sure. they say, would it also be an example, like they say that like in a, in a bunker, in a foxhole, there's no one without Maseris Nefesh, so at that point, like... People There's many, many ways time. or reasons that this happens. And this all just serves as an indicator that it's there. Right. This, if we need proof that it's there, there's all these stories where suddenly it comes out of nowhere. Right. And that's true because it is there. And it's always there. We believe we can't lose that. Try as we might, we can't lose that. But yet, until it does come out, this is, the, this is its state of inexpression. In fact, the Gemara says, um, interesting, it says, Afilu poshe Yisrael meleim mitzvos kerimon which literally means that even the most wicked um, have, are filled with mitzvahs, like, just like a pomegranate is filled with seeds. So now somehow, because there's that godliness there, it's going to express itself somehow. So in mitzvahs, even unwittingly and unknowingly, a person does mitzvahs here and does mitzvahs there. There's a famous, beautiful story that a person once came into the Rebbe for a private audience, and the Rebbe asked him to say over some type of Advar Torah that he heard recently. And the person said, well, if you're asking... So recently I heard from well, Rebbe, whatever, he said, I don't understand that statement of, of, the, of the Gemara, that even the most wicked of the Jewish people are filled with so many mitzvahs. Mm -hmm. If they're so wicked, how do they have so many mitzvahs? And the Rebbe became very serious and said, I also don't understand that Gemara. If they have so many mitzvahs, why do we call them wicked? <laughs> the Rebbe always has yeah. the other, the other way the, the, other, the other way of looking at it. But, but be that as it may, this becomes, this is the story of this, of this parak, of this chapter. The parak of the Russia. And I guess what's important for us, the takeaway here is, on the one hand, in this parak, most of us find ourselves. Most of us find ourselves at some point in this parak, of so, somewhere in between the, you know, the little bit of bad once in a while to the more bad, more often, and more bad, more often, but a lot of regrets, right? Somewhere in that. And yet, this parak is not the focus of Tanya. Yeah, right. The focus of Tanya is from next chapter on, because it's the work on being the Benini. Whether we'll perfect it, whether we'll ever come to a place in our life where we'll be so 
master, masterful about ourselves that will always, always do right, most people probably never perfect that. And yet, that's our avoda. Our avoda is the avoda every day, every struggle to overcome it. Will we perfect it? I don't know. Keep on working on it. Maybe one day, maybe one year. But our avoda is not to wallow in the Russia side of the story. Yeah, we may, you know, some of us may not be perfect, but I'm not going to go around the table. <laughs> Definitely not going on the Zoom boxes. But so, so, some of us may sometimes be imperfect, but our avoda is the avoda of the benini, the avoda of the struggle, with the knowledge that we can win struggles, and we know that because we do. And if we do it once, we can do it twice, and we can do it ten times. And statistically, if we do it ten times, we can do it hundred times, we can do it every time. And that's where we're headed, and that's what we're looking for. And that starts next week, chapter 12, which begins with the famous word of Tanya, Vehabenani. That's how chapter 12 starts. And from there on in is the story of the Benani. Beautiful. And we'll continue that. Yes, sir.